Mac Power Users, Episode 292, Buying and Selling Macs and iOS Devices. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside David Sparks. Hey, David. Hello, Katie Floyd. How are you feeling today? Um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm hanging in there. I've, I've got my, my hot tea, Earl Grey, hot, of course. Uh, I've got a bottled water. I've got a couple of cough drops here. So it's, you know, it's time for my annual uh, December cold. It's, it's caught up to me a little, little earlier than normal. Okay, so I have two observations. First of all, you sound a little bit like Sade, which is kind of cool, actually. So uh, okay. you can just roll with that. Um, the the other thing is, uh, did you did you drink Earl Grey hot before Captain Picard, or was that motive is that a fandom related beverage? Well, I I wasn't a big tea drinker before, and so when I decided to start trying to drink tea, I I didn't know of any other type of tea. Yeah, so you just went for it. I, yeah, I was just like, okay, well, this must be the best kind of tea there is. Because if Captain Picard drinks it, it is the best kind of tea, right? Right. So, okay. And you know, well, every that's... time I make it, I have to say it. Yeah, Earl Grey hot. Now, how hot do you make it when you make your tea? I mean, do you? Uh, you're you're going to be so disappointed. It, it just came out of the Keurig. Okay. Well, no, that's okay. I I know that's how you roll with the stuff. But I I don't I don't drink it that often, so I just get some K cups and. Because I'm not a, I'm not a big tea person. Tea is tea is my secondary caffeinated beverage. When I've when I've maxed out on the coffee, I'll I'll switch to tea. Yeah, I, I can't out drink coffee. I just can't drink it. It tastes like sludge to me. But I love a cup of tea. And we both are. I'm still recovering from my coffee. You're, you've got a little bit of a cold. So I, I think uh, you gave it to me. Yeah, I think so too. So you've you. been you've been talking too close to the mic. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> must be. Must be. Yeah. But hey, this is a show uh, we get. I mean, routinely, we get emails from people saying, hey, I'm selling my device. I'm buying a new device. What's your advice? And um, and we, we've we been answering the questions kind of through email for years now. And uh, we were sitting around talking about a show. We're like, you know, we need to just record that show. So in the future, we can just get a text expander snippet that says, you know, go listen to MPU 292. You know, I went back in the archives. We actually did an episode on buying a Mac in episode 14. Yeah. Way, way back in the archives. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's about due. And I'm, I'm not sure we really covered the use aspect. And, and I think both buying and selling a used device is important this time of year. You know, number one, you know, people are getting new devices for Christmas. People are upgrading. It's the holiday season. So you're going to start seeing some used devices on the market. If you're looking to pick up one for, you know, yourself or your kids or as a secondary machine, you know, you may want to look at the used market or, or maybe you get something new and you're looking to get rid of one of your devices on the, on the secondary market. So we're going to have some some tips for how to do that and some tips that if you're a buyer, you know, what you want to look out for. Yeah. And before we get into it, though, can I just say one thing? I, sure. I love all the handsome and attractive pictures of our users and listeners um, wearing Mac Power Users t-shirts. Yes, they've started. They've started to come out. Yeah, I, I'm I starting to see them on, on Twitter. So uh, thank you for sending them. If you want to send them around, just uh, send those to at Mac Power Users on Twitter uh, and you can find a find a flow of them there. So thank you, everybody. I actually don't have mine yet, but I do see that it's out for delivery. So I, sh- I should have it soon. I bought three. About three. I, I think I bought four, but I'm giving <laughs> a few as gifts. Yeah, my wife is getting one. I asked my kids, I said, you guys want one? They're like, oh, no, we don't want one, Dad. <laughs> oh, oh. Teenagers. Don't okay. ask. Just get them. Yeah. Anyway, um, so let's start with selling your device and more specifically your Mac. 
Yeah. So if you're going to sell your Mac, you know, there are a couple of things that, that you want to do. You know, presumably you're selling your Mac because you're getting a new device. Um, and, and if you can, I like to suggest that if you have that luxury, that you get your new Mac up and running first and make sure that you've got everything going and all your data is transferred over and, and have a little carryover period between your Mac that you're selling and, and your new Mac because that's going to be a nice comfort level. You're going to find a few things that you forgot. So if you can, you know, run with your old Mac and your new Mac for a couple of weeks, that's going to be a nice luxury. Now, I know sometimes people don't always have that luxury because maybe they're selling the old Mac as a way to help finance the purchase of the new Mac. Um, regardless, and especially if you're not going to have that carryover, obviously the first thing you want to do is is back up that data. And, you know, we're not going to go over that in detail. We've got entire episodes to, devoted to backup. But particularly when you're when you're backing up a device that you're getting rid of, my advice is I like to have a clone backup of of that device. Um, one of the things that I'll do from time to time is I'll make a um, uh, a clone to a disk image of sometimes just the user folder of that device, and I'll store it on my my Drobo or your network attached storage, and and just you know because that's a big pot of storage that you just have sitting somewhere, and so it's just this archive of this device, and you know I'll call them you know Katie's 2012 MacBook Air archive, and you can um, with with a tool like Carbon Copy Cloner or Super Duper, you can make a clone of a spar a sparse image clone of just the home folder so you're not getting all the applications and everything that's that's easy to to recreate if you need to and just let it sit there it'll be big but but you've got your core data there um, the other thing that I like to do is I like to create what I call a shelf clone backup. So this is just an extra hard drive, and we all have extra hard drives sitting around, that you make an exact clone backup of your computer as it was in its last good known working condition, and you stick this on a shelf or you put it in a drawer, you know, whatever you want to do, but but leave it there. Don't touch it for at least a month, because after your computer is gone, you know, you're still going to have this clone backup that you'll be able to go back to for some period of time and pull your data off. Yeah, this is similar advice that we gave when you're updating the operating system. You know, make a clone of the old system and keep it around because you just never know what is going to be missing in 60 days. And it doesn't hurt to keep it on the shelf for a while. Uh, while we're on the subject, though, just, you know, a couple of the gotchas that, that I've seen in my own personal experience is uh, applications that, that will keep a local store of data that is not necessarily in your documents folder. Um, things like uh, text expander snippets sometimes, um, Hazel rules, uh, you know, the applications that have like stuff you've built over time that that are are usually stored in application support files. Those are the kinds of things that you you may find that you didn't get. So uh, try and get as much of that as you can up front, but also keep the clone. And uh, and it will it will serve you well. And, you know, keeping that hard drive around, frankly, until the next time you need a shelf data for a different reason, like let's say you sell your Mac and in six months you're putting, you know, OS 10, you know, Compton on or whatever the next one is. Um, you can uh, you can use that same drive to back it up. Then then you'll be safe. I think the next step is once you're sure you've got your backups all sorted out, you know, now you're going to go ahead and start cleaning off that that old computer that you're getting rid of selling. And 
I've seen people try to, you know, take the the, the easy way out of this and, oh, I'm just going to delete my user folder. I'm just going to delete my data. Oh, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to leave my applications on there so the new person will have the benefit of my applications. And, yeah, mis- you know, mistake. That's mistake. a bad idea. Don't, yeah. don't do that. The, really, the only way to do this is just to do a complete nuke and pave of your computer. But before you do that, you, you want to remove some of your data before you do that nuke and pave. Specifically, you want to, you know, disassociate the Mac from your iTunes account. Yeah, can, now stop right there for a second. Okay. Everybody gets five Macs connected. They get a total of 10 devices, but a total maximum of five Macs. And the, the problem, especially if you're a dad or a mom, and you've got kids using the same account or sharing an account like we do, you know, with the weird thing that we have where we share the account for purchases, but we have separate accounts for everything else. Uh, it's very easy to hit that five account limit. This is something we run into in the Sparks residence often. So you must disassociate the account. And it's it's attached to the logic board. A friend of mine that works for Apple told me that they actually look at the logic board and attach it. So even like when you're going in to get a logic board replaced, it'll add a, another device to your system. So if you don't disassociate it, you may have a problem because Apple will let you reset all five of those devices, but they only let you do it once a year. And it's just really easy to get stuck in this trap where you've got to spend like two hours on the phone with Apple just to be able to listen to your iTunes music. So that's a big one. Exclamation point. Disassociate from iTunes. And the same is true now with as more software is going to a subscription-based model, um, you're, you're starting to see that those are only giving you a limited number of licenses. And I think you're seeing these with you know the Adobe Cloud Suite and with some of the Microsoft products. Like I know, David, you subscribe to the Microsoft 365 service. And as with that, you only get so many licenses to use them on so many Macs and so many iOS devices. Yeah, you don't str- want str- yeah, Strangely, though, Microsoft makes it pretty easy to go online and disassociate a computer even without having access to that computer, if you have access to your account. Um, Adobe, not so much. Over the years, I mean, Adobe, even before they went to cloud accounts, I mean, I, I bought a, I don't know how many dollars I spent on an Adobe um, um, license for their, what's their PDF application called again? Acrobat. Acrobat. Acrobat Pro, because that's the only one they would sell on the Mac. And and I, I got stung by that once where, I got a new Mac and I didn't disassociate. It wasn't even a cloud-based license. It was just the regular license. And they said, no, 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 this has already been used on a different computer. And you had to physically go into the old computer and disassociate it. And I suspect that's still the case. So Adobe handle with kid gloves. Microsoft, you're a little safer. You can just go in and disassociate it. It's kind of like uh, OmniFocus does the same thing. If you dig into the settings in OmniFocus, and if you've been using a lot of devices, I recommend you do this. You can go in and you'll see all the different devices that OmniFocus thinks it needs to sync the data with. And the more of those devices, the more difficult the job is. And you may see old iPhones or old Macs in there that you don't use anymore. And I think now they even automatically delete them after you don't use them for so long. But um, going in and, and removing the the hooks to a specific device using Microsoft are a lot easier. But, you know, whatever it is that you do, if you're an architect, I'm sure there's some software you use that's going to have the same problem. So just spend a little bit of time thinking about you know, what applications may blow up if I try and use the same license on another computer. Another thing that I recommend doing is going ahead and logging out of your iCloud 
account. Um, and the same may be true if you have like an exchange account or something related, something that is managed by your office. They may have their own policies and security procedures. I know when um, I switched computers and we still had a managed exchange account, uh, I had to let my IT guys know to go ahead and, and log me out and that I was logging out and disassociating so that they could do uh, a secure delete of, of my exchange data on my machine. And so if you're running any kind of work-related software on your machine, you may want to let them know as well, same as if you're on an iOS device. But I go ahead and I log out of my iCloud account. You may want to log out of your email account. That's probably less necessary because we're about to go through an erase. Um, But the big thing with logging out of the iCloud account is after you log out of your iCloud account, you also want to make sure that you turn off Find My Mac because that's going to disable the activation lock um, and make sure that your, your buyer doesn't have any problems with that. It's also going to keep that Mac from showing up um, when you go look for it and find my Mac in the future. Yeah. And once you've done that, once you've got the key software, you know, disassociated and you've got the iCloud turned off, the next thing you do is you nuke it. Yeah. There's a couple, there's a couple ways to do that. The, um, uh, the easiest way I think is through the recovery partition. And so you restart your Mac holding down the command and R, R keys simultaneously. This has kind of changed over the years, but now on your, on every Mac, there's a, a separate partition on the hard drive that has the disk utility and the, the pieces you need to, to do the restart or the, the reset. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, and when you're so, in there, you're going to find like a little utility and the disk utility is going to be in there. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and and you just you know you select the Macintosh HD, which is going to take you a little bit of guts to push the button on that. Even now, when I know I want to erase it, it always makes me a little nervous when I select the Macintosh HD. And now, just click, to be clear, this is we talked about earlier. This is after you've done your backups. Yes, yes. This is this is the one you can't come back from. So once you push that button, your drive is toast. And um. And this is the same procedure used for a nuke and pave of your own machine. But anyway, so um, you can go and erase it. Now, there's different ways you can erase the disk. They have, um, uh, you know, the standard one is essentially, as I understand it, they just go and they wipe out the directory and they don't do anything to the actual data. And then as, as the new user starts using it, the directory gets written and it overwrites all the data on the drive. And that's a very fast way to do it. Um, when I'm doing this for like a family member or somebody who's not a lawyer or a doctor, that's the way I do it. I just do the simple way because I'm not really that worried about it. Um, But they have more thorough uh, methods where they go over and physically overwrite the data on the drive. They have one that's three and one that is um, a seven pass. Yeah. There's a seven pass one too. So, so you can go and have it do that. Like for my devices, I always do that because there's always some lingering client data somewhere and I don't want whoever buys my computer if they're smart enough to be able to go and find it. Um, you do want to make sure that you reformat it as the Mac OS extended journaled, but keep in mind that that three or that seven pass erase, if you, if you go that route, and I think you should, I think you should go that route. The only time I might not do it is if I'm handing it down to a family member, but I still personally would do it because you yeah. never know what's going to happen to it afterwards. That's true. That's um, true. Is um, keep in mind that's going to take a while. That's something you're probably going to have to let run overnight, at least. Yeah, at least, seven pass. I think you know, it's days, if memory serves. I've never done one of those. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so th- so then you reformat OS ten journal, and then it, it walks you through the steps to reinstall OS ten from the recovery partition. 
And um, this is a question I always have, Katie, when you're selling a Mac, how far into the restoration do you get? I mean, because at some point it comes up with a screen that says, welcome to Macintosh. Uh, generally, I stop right there. And, yeah, and, it, and the buyer can, you know, they get that new Mac experience in essence. It depends on how I'm selling it. If if I'm selling it, which is normally what I'm doing, um, either to somebody that I know or I'm like turning it into to one of these services that will just trade you, you know, kind of cash for your Mac or you're sending it like Gazelle or to an Apple authorized reseller or something. That's where I stop because if I'm giving it to somebody that I know, I want them to have that brand new out of the box set up the computer experience. So if you stop it, you know, kind of when the music comes on and starts to play, uh, you can just hit the power button and you'll shut it down. And then the t- next time the other person turns on the Mac, you know, they'll get the brand new, almost like it was out of the box experience where we'll walk them through the guided setup. If I'm selling it kind of on the the secondary market, like through eBay or through Craigslist, and, and I'll tell you, we'll talk about that process. I personally don't do it anymore. Um, or if you're selling it to someone who you kind of know, but, but they're going to want to kick the tires on the machine a little bit, then I'll go through and I'll set up a dummy account um, for testing purposes so that I can show them the machine and so that they can kick the tires a little bit. It just depends on the circumstances. All right. Well, so what we talked about uh, erasing it through the recovery partition, uh, you had put in the outline using the USB key. Yeah, sometimes I'll prefer to do this with a USB key because uh, and the method may have changed a little bit, but I believe the last time I tried to create or down uh, do it from the, the recovery partition is it asked me to authenticate um, with my Apple Store account so that it would download the, the latest OS. Um, and this may have been on a machine that I did internet recovery for, I don't know. And I didn't want to put my Apple credentials into a machine that I was giving to somebody else. So what I did is I did the USB installer route. And I've got a link in the show notes with how you can create a USB installer. I like doing this anyway, and I keep it updated every time there's a major OS update. Um, But it's a pretty easy process. You'll need a flash drive of at least eight gigabytes. I already have one. And I just think that this is the easiest and fastest way to install a new OS. And so once you... Go, go do, you, ahead. Do, do you still carry it with you at all times like yes, on your keychain? It's still on my keychain. So for I me, just, it's easy. I just love knowing every time I'm in the same room with you that if I needed to erase my entire computer, you I can handle you it. Yeah. I got you I love covered. That. Yeah. Have you ever done that? Been like in a room and someone said, quick, we need an OS, OS 10 recovery disc, you know, like just like, you know, like a doctor, but instead like a nerd doctor. No, and you I'm, like stood up like you're eating eggs or something. You stood up like, I have it. I'll be right there. <laughs> I, I've, I've never had that happen. But you got to remember, I sort, I support a lot of people's computers. You That's know? true. And you're in your local user group. You're yeah. probably, I bet, I bet you've used it in those meetings. So I've used point. it, I've used it several times with, with friends and family and, and yeah. here, you know, cause it's just the quickest way to get them up and running. Yeah, I get it. But, but you boot from that flash drive and then, and then you basically follow the same process. Once you boot from that flash drive, you use disk utility to securely erase it. And then you, you, that part will take us some time again. Then you reformat the disk and then you reinstall OS 10 from that flash drive. Now in the old days at the Apple store, they used to have a little, you know, um, rugged hard drive that yeah. had. And I think they still do. No, they, well, I was in recently, we had to reset a computer and they, they said, we don't do it off the hard drive anymore. Now we've got it on a super fast network and they just plug in a cat oh, five and okay. push a button. But the, um, but I was going to say is they've got, they, this little rubber hard drive they had, what had like OS 10.4.5.6. They had all the different OS 10 releases because people come in all the time with computers that are no longer supported or whatever. So they want to put the most recent version of the software that the, the user needed. 
I think you, I think that's your next step, Katie. You got to like get a bigger thumb drive and have multiple operating systems on there. No, I, I only support the most recent operating system. Okay. So if, if I had an if old you computer, want, if be you like, want me to support luck, you, buddy. Yeah. yeah, you're, you're going to have to upgrade. Okay. Well, I, I'm going to remember that now. Yeah. I'm going to tell my wife I need a new computer because I need Katie Floyd support. Um, and oh. then the last thing is just, you know, physically clean it up a little bit clean up the machine. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to keep my machines pretty clean because I'm a little uh, compulsive about that. But you want to be careful with the type of products that you use on the machine. I've put a link in the show notes to an Apple support document that talks about some of the right and the wrong ways to, to clean your Apple products. The general rule is you don't want to use anything that's alcohol-based um, and you don't want to use any excess moisture. So r- really the big thing is just cleaning it up with a, um, a soft cloth. Uh, there was a product that I, I use called iClear. Um, I'll see if I can put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, it's great I te- stuff. I tend to not put stickers or anything like that on my Mac because I don't want to have to, cl- other than I do have a sticker on the bottom of it um, with my name and phone number, but I don't tend to put a lot of stuff on my Mac because I don't want to have to worry about trying to clean it up later. Yeah, I cleared, they were selling in the Apple store. I don't know if they still are or not because, you know, it seems like they really trim back on their, you know, support accessory type products. But at Macworld years ago, I bought this big bottle of it and i've been using it for years i clear and it works great it clear it cleans the outside it cleans the screen and the way i do it is because you don't want liquid getting inside your computers i squirt this stuff on it on a towel you know on like a lint-free cloth and then just rub the mac with that um if you're doing your laptop make sure you turn it off before you start doing the stuff yeah turn it off and they recommend that you unplug the device if it even yeah. if it's a mac even if it's a laptop or a desktop yeah Okay. I, in the and Apple that's... support article, they d- they did mention that if you were disinfecting a Mac, that you could use like one of those Ly- Lysol cleaning wipes as long as it had been wrung out such that it was no longer drippy. But then that article had been, um, what's it called, like archived so that it was no longer in use. So I don't know if that's still good devi- advice. Yeah, I don't know. I think I would just let the new guy get my germs. I yeah. just don't think I'd bother. Uh, but the uh, anyway, I, I do think that the iClear stuff is pretty nice. Um, and, and, you know, when you have it, you're going to find uses for it. Like I look at my kids' computers. I'm like, ah, give that to me. I want to clean it. Um, the uh, Okay, so we've talked about preparing your Mac. What about your iOS devices, which I think a lot of people are selling more of those than Macs these days. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty similar process for, for iOS, but the logistics of it are a little different. Um, obviously, you're going to go through and, and back up your data. I recommend that you back up your data both to iTunes and to iCloud. So my recommendation now is that I think the default should be that you should be backing up to iCloud just because that you can only do one by default. And so if I only had to pick one, I would say back up to iCloud because that's going to happen automatically. It's going to happen typically at night when you plug in your phone and you're connected to Wi-Fi. But then you can always go in and then physically plug into your computer and run a separate backup to iTunes. And I've got an OmniFocus task that reminds me to do this once a month or so if I haven't already. Yeah, and, and the advantage of there's some advantages to that. I mean, the iCloud backup backs up the data that needs to make everything whole. It doesn't back up the applications, for instance. Like, it won't back up the Photos app, but it'll back up your photos. Um, and with iTunes, you get a, a really a full mirror kind of clone of your device. And if you have security turned on, it's the only way I know of to uh, back up your your device with security and then restore it without having to re-enter a lot of passwords and everything like that. So that's kind of nice. Um, I, I have to admit, though, I, I don't restore from it. I, I do it 
pretty routinely, especially when I'm about to get a new device. But I always just restore from iCloud. I always restore from my iOS backup. It's it's so much faster. Or my Mac backup, it's faster. Um. Uh, okay. Uh, but yeah, I I also suggest that you have your new device up and running first to make sure that it you know it gets activated and everything gets transferred. Okay. But yeah, and and who wants to be without their iPhone? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, same thing about un, you know removing your accounts. You know, yeah. iCloud needs to be turned off. Um, find my iPhone iPad. In fact, it'll tell you to do that as you start unwinding the stuff. I don't think you can re- log out of iCloud without uh, turning that off. Yeah. Specifically with an iPhone, though, if you have an Apple Watch, you want to make sure that you unpair your Apple Watch from yeah. your iPhone. Um, and that will do a backup and then you can repair it. It will uh, transfer over to your new phone. So, you know, there really is not a good way right now to move a, a watch to a new um, phone. I didn't realize that until I got my new phone recently, but you, you basically have to, it wipes the phone and reinstalls everything again. No, but were you at least, when you backed up your phone and restored to your new phone, were you at least not having to tweak all of your settings again? Yeah, yeah, the settings were, were there, but I mean, it just, it, it seems to me like there should be a way to not have to reset the entire phone to make that happen. But, yeah, you mean the watch, not have to reset the entire watch. I'm sorry, watch. yes, exactly. Yeah. It's a generation one, so yeah. give them some time. You know, I just, uh, my dad... Got an Apple Watch. They were on sale this past week at, at Black Friday, Best Buy, or several oh, places. He? Several which places one, had a deal. Which one did he get? He got the same one you had. He he got okay. this um, stain, uh, space gray um, aluminum. Uh, aluminum, yeah, yeah. And he's hoping that you know Santa will bring him a a, a band for it. But um, you know, it was it was quite an ordeal. I did not realize it was quite an ordeal to set up. Um, it you know it took about an hour to an hour and a half to set it up, and you know we had to go through the whole process. You know, the first thing I did is I went to go set it up and it wouldn't set up and I was trying to troubleshoot and I realized, oh, wow, you know, my dad's device hadn't been updated to iOS 9. Maybe that was the issue, you know, so it was, you know, wait 20 minutes while we update his phone to, you know, back up and update his phone to iOS 9. And then the watch paired and set up and then we, you know, we set it up and that was another 20 to 30 minutes. And then, oh, well, look, the the iOS 2 update or I watch OS 2 update is out. And so yeah. then, then we got to do all that. You know, it was just... I mean, it was great, but it was just like, it was this total buzzkill from the point in time that you open the box. You yeah, know, it's an hour and a half you it's strap be- it on. before you can strap it on. How's he like it? Um, I think he likes it. It's, it's, by that time I was exhausted. So I just said, here, it's set up. You're done. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. Well, how would you prepare your your watch for sale? And I don't think there's that many people doing it yet. But yeah, I, I mean, I I think it's the same process that you go through with an iOS device. I think you you want to back up your your iOS your iPhone itself to iTunes and to iCloud and make sure that you have a good backup. And then you're going to unpair your watch. Um, there there is an erase setting in the watch. So yeah, you you can wipe it. Yeah, and then go through the same process that you would go through with your phone, you know, and we were walking through it. I think it's this exact same process. Um, With a phone, you're going to remove your SIM, make sure you remove your SIM. And there's also a process that if you're switching to a non-Apple phone, which you're not, but I know. But if you did, um, you want to make sure that you deregister iMessage um, and then go through. That's actually a big deal. It is. It is a big deal if you're switching switching to a non-Apple device. Yeah. Um, and then go through and erase everything. And there's a setting. Um, if you go into settings, general reset, you can erase all content and settings and, and that's it. Um, 
And then with the watch and with the phone, I think the last step again is to, you know, clean it up physically, you know, clean it up. And and with the watch, you can be a little more liberal. Um, you know, I, I do put a, a Lysol wipe on, on my watch from time to time. And especially with the sport band, you know, just to clean it up and disinfect it a little bit. You know, they make a device. I'll have to look it up and put in the show notes. Like it's a, it's a little like coffin you put your phone in and it bombs it with UV uh, rays during the night. And the idea is it's supposed to remove all any bacteria or, you know, clean or just, um, you know, to make it, you know, to um, what's the word I'm looking for, Katie? Sanitize. To sanitize your phone. And uh, it sounds a little nutty to me, but I was in the store the other day. I saw one. I'm like, and people were like really into it. And I'm like, I don't know if I would bother with that. I, I tell you, I have taken my phone out of its case. Well, the case, you got to be careful. You got to clean the case, too. If you've got a separate case, you can take your case off and clean that with, you know, usually, yeah. depending on what type of case you have, some some soapy water or an antibacterial wipe. But I'll take one of those Lysol wipes and, and clean my phone off on it, just being very careful to avoid, you know, any of the cracks and crevices where any liquid could get inside. And then I'll clean it yeah. again with some iClear after it's disinfected. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. I just looked on... Um on Amazon. Yeah, I put a uh, link phone sanitizers. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, I guess that's a thing and I didn't, you know, one more thing that I didn't know I, I should be thinking about. <laughs> yeah, if if you think about it, your phone's probably pretty disgusting. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> like I I know as I'm going getting this head cold and all, I I will be sanitizing my my phone quite often yeah. to get over it. So. The one thing though is I think I'm the only one that really touches it. That's I guess the good part of it. It's not being passed around. Yeah. I, I will say be very, very careful um, with Lysol spray. I know, you know, the Lysol that comes in the spray can. Yeah, um, that's a bad idea. It, that's a very, very bad idea because that, and it's, um, it, it will kill anything and it can, it can kill, <laughs> it can kill your electronics. Do not spray that Lysol spray directly or indirectly on your electronics. I think anytime you're applying any kind of cleaning solution to your electronics, the, uh, the method we talked about earlier with a Mac stands true, you know, get whatever you're going to clean it with the cloth, a little damp with whatever the solution is and just rub that on it. I, I think that's probably the safest way to go. Yeah. Don't I, ever, don't ever be spraying something onto your device. Yeah. And remember with your Macs, especially no alcohol based cleaners. Yeah. And and so often you don't need really any, any fluid at all. Like my Drobo is a good example. I have a OmniFocus task every like six weeks. I, I take it outside. I get a little can of compressed air. I blow it out. I rub it down with a, with a cloth and it's good as new. It's just not that hard. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, pricing and selling your device and the logistics of all that. But before we do, I want to take a quick break. uh, And I want to talk about our exclusive sponsor for this episode. And that is Smile. Um, And they want to talk a little bit about Text Expander. And I am happy to talk about Text Expander because uh, Text Expander for the Mac is one of my most used applications. It's probably the most used application on the Mac. You know, if I accidentally get to a Mac and Text Expander for some reason is not installed, uh, I'm just crippled. I don't know what to do. Uh, but Text Expander helps you uh, to take these small little snippets that you can create with the Text Expander, and then they expand into significantly larger blocks of text. And so what this can allow you to do is to increase your consistency by um, creating these snippets of text, and you know that you're always saying the same thing and that you're saying it properly. So you can make a snippet for email responses. You can make a snippet for meeting notes. Um, so you can create a template to make sure that when you're going through your meeting notes that you don't leave anything out. Um, 
You can create a snippet for all types of letters that you send. I know that I've got one when I'm onboarding a new client and I've got that text expander snippet that I just type a few letters, the snippet pops out. And because text expander has this great feature called fill in snippets, you can customize these snippets to make sure that these snippets are exactly what you want for the particular use case so that it doesn't look like a form letter, that it looks like a really handcrafted letter that you can use and that you can customize, but you make sure that you're being consistent and that you're not leaving anything out because you've got this pre-populated snippet. Um, there's this great video tutorial series that this Sparks guy did for Text Expander. Don't know about that guy, but you yeah, know. I heard he's a weirdo. Yeah, he seems he seems pretty pretty legit though in this video tutorial series that you can learn all about Text Expander. Um, you can learn how to create new snip- snippets. You can learn how to fill out forms. Uh, using your snippets. You can learn how you can use snippets to automatically create typos when you make a mistake. I mean, he, I've got a snippet that I use to autocorrect my name when I spell it wrong. Um, I'm notorious for just because I'm typing too fast. I, I type Katie incorrectly. And you know what? I never send out an email with my name spelled wrong because Text Expander fixes it back for me. Um, so Text Expander is just the must have application on my Mac. A couple of things you should know about Text Expander. Text Expander version 5 will now suggest abbreviations, making it even easier for you to save time. You, you can store your Text Expander data on iCloud or Dropbox for syncing. Text Expander 5 is fully compatible with El Capitan, although it does require Yosemite or later, so make sure that you're upgraded. And it will sync with their companion iOS app that David will tell you all about later. Text Expander 5 costs $44.95 US and upgrades start at just $19.95 for existing users. And it's free if you purchased Text Expander after January 1st, 2015. So get on board, head over to smilesoftware.com slash MPU to learn more about Text Expander and the whole line of Smile products. Thanks, Smile, for your continued support of Mac Power users. Okay, so you've got your, your Mac all cleaned up, or your iOS device all cleaned up, and you decided, hey, I'm going to make some money. I'm going to sell this thing. Um, one of the first questions you've got to ask yourself is, is how much am I going to charge for it? And um, there's there's various sources you can go to to kind of get an idea of what it's worth. It's not worth what you paid for it. I guess that's the starting point. Yeah, uh, even, sorry. Yeah, even though Macs do retain value. Well, unless you've got like an Apple One. Yeah. Yeah, then it's worth more. <laughs> but, you know, but that's, that's, kind of that's about it. <clears throat> yeah, um, I agree. But the um, but it, you know, so that's that's one mistake to make is like, hey, I paid a thousand dollars for it, so I'm going to sell it for nine fifty. But I've been using it for three years. You know, uh, it, it does retain value, which is great. I mean, I, you know, we just had a friend of ours who had a a, a um, and I'm got to protect the guilty. I'm not going to give the name of the manufacturer, but it's a very well known PC manufacturer and. They, um, for a variety of reasons, they switched over to Mac and they had a six month old computer that they had paid north of a thousand dollars for. And it's worth about uh, what, 250? She couldn't sell it. I mean, she put it on eBay and she put it just nobody would buy it. And she's like, I don't understand. It's just only six months old. And she ended up donating it to the school because the tax write off was more than she could have ever got for it. And, and, um, I just don't think people, I think Macs are one of the few computers where there is a used market for it at all. But anyway, you, you right. can't get it as much as you get. So where do you go to find out what it's worth? Um, uh, we we have a sponsor, full disclosure, Gazelle. Uh, I don't know if they're a sponsor right now. They kind of, they come and go. But they, yeah, they um, are. They are. And, but they, they buy Macs, so you can go and see, well, what will they give me for it? And uh, we'll talk about whether you do that or some other method in a minute. Uh, you but- can also... 
that, that at least will give you a range. You know, for example, yeah. you can look at what will Gazelle give you versus um, Gazelle does both trade-ins. So you can sometimes, or um, I'm sorry, they buy used machines. So you can see what will Gazelle give you for it, you know, if you want to sell it to them versus then if someone came to Gazelle and said, I want to buy this type of device. And typically Gazelle is just selling iOS devices. So this tend to, tends to work better with iOS devices than Macs. You know, what would someone who was buying it from Gazelle you know, pay for it. And and obviously what they're going to give you for it is less than what they sell it for. That's that's how they make money. But now you've at least got a range to work in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and there's other sources like eBay. Um, and if you go on eBay, don't look at the pending sales. Look at the completed sales because someone can list it for a million dollars. But, you know, you've got to see what someone actually paid for it. Um, uh, Amazon Marketplace, which I've never used to sell hardware. Have you ever sold any hardware on Amazon? Yeah, I have. I'll talk about that one later. Okay. Um, and you can look at what, what's a new device cost and, you know, um, and just kind of get an idea. You're going to get a pretty good idea if you look at those third-party sources of, of what people are paying for your specific device. And make sure it is your specific device going about this Mac and you can get the details of your hardware. So you're comparing apples to apples. Ooh, did you like how I did that? I, that I see clever. how you did that, yeah. Um, the um and and frankly, once you figure out what it's worth, that opens up a whole nother kind of decision tree. Like like I'm going through right now with my iPad. My my iPad's kind of old, and it's not worth that much on the used market. And I'm I'm seriously considering keeping it just because the amount of money I'd get for it, uh, I think I could get that value out of, of having it around still. So um, think about that. Yeah. And in my experience, I think Macs tend to hold their value longer and better than iOS devices. You know, my general rule of thumb with Macs and and I'll obviously go through the sources that we gave you because that'll give you a, a better value. But, you know, I, I tend to find that I try to sell mine at about the two and a half to two to three quarter year mark so that it still has some Apple Care left on it when I when I sell it to somebody. And that protects me and it protects them. You know, if anything goes wrong, I know that, look, you've got 30, 69 days, something left in Apple Care, and then yeah. I don't feel bad about it. Um, yeah. You know, you've got an avenue. Um, but I tend to find that if I sell it in kind of that, you know, you know, two and three quarter year mark, it's worth somewhere in the ballpark of about 50% of its original value, give or take. Yeah, about half, which is pretty nice. Yeah, it's great. And it's a nice deposit towards the next one because usually you're replacing it when you're selling it. Right. Um, The other thing that you obviously want to make sure that you do is you describe the specific device that you're selling. Um, I just recently, if you've been watching me on social media, you'll know that I just sold my beloved 1997 Toyota Avalon after 17 years of you did. service. I didn't I did. know that. Yeah, check, follow. Are you following me on Twitter, David? I am, but you know, it's hard for me to keep up with it. Yes. It's hard. I know. Um, but one of the things that I did is, you know, obviously it's not selling a Mac, but I did a lot of these same things when I was selling a car. Um, it's a little more complicated selling a car than it is a Mac. But, you know, I went through and I checked various sources. Um, I listed my car on Craigslist and I sold it within two hours of, of posting it for the price that I wanted. So maybe I was a little low on my price. I don't know. I was happy with what I got. It for. I'm always too low. That's one of the things when I when I look at like what they're selling, going back to the Mac, you know, I see it's selling on eBay for 800 you know, I'll sell it for seven hundred. I just, you know, I, I part, just part of that's sure. I just don't like the hassle factor. I don't yeah, want any, me too. And I don't want anybody to feel like I'm ripping them off. Um, but but I'm not negotiable. I'll say, hey, it's below what the market is bearing. That's it. If you want it, that's great. But otherwise, but, forget it. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna haggle another ten dollars off or whatever. 
One of the things that I noticed, though, when I was going through and kind of kind of researching the car thing is how badly things on Craigslist are often described. I mean, it's it's almost laughable, the things that people put on Craigslist and the descriptions. I mean, it's it's the the spelling, the grammar, the lack of information, uh, the lack of punctuation, the lack of complete sentences. Yeah. Um, and, and the things that people will tell you that are completely irrelevant. Um, I, I mean, treat this like a professional transaction. Well, you know, that, you're seeing a symptom of a bigger problem right there. Right, right. <laughs> Which we can't solve today, unfortunately. But but I think one of the reasons that my car went so fast beyond it was Craigslist is, um, you know, Darren Boss, we've had him on the show a couple of times, is he's got, a, speaking of our sponsor, Text Expander, he's got a couple of Text Expander snippets on his site that he shares with people who are selling things on Craigslist with some suggested language. And I put a link to that in the show notes. And, and his format is basically a little introductory paragraph, um, you know, kind of explaining your item, um, a description, which in my case, I like bullets. I think they make sense. Um, and good photos. Yeah. And, you know, be honest, be upfront. And then he includes a little line that says, you know, do not call me, you know, just to ask if it's available and stuff like that. But, you know, when you're describing your device, you, you want to be specific. What is the specific model of this Mac? Go into the Apple menu um, and, and click the about this Mac. You know, this, this is a 2012 MacBook Air model number five comma one. You know, it has eight gigabytes of RAM and a 256 uh a terabyte uh, solid state hard drive, you know, and then just go down the spec list. I mean, your Mac power users, you, you guys know all of this stuff, you know, it was originally purchased in January of, or June of 2012. Um, you know, I usually say that's been lovingly cared for uh, and has minimal signs of use. And I'll, I'll take pictures and specifically describe if there are any scratches or markings on it. Yeah. And if there's a scratch, take a picture of the scratch and put it up so they can see it. So they don't have questions. Right. And then the other thing is take some time to stage your photos nicely. You know, don't just take a picture of it as it sits on your desk, you know, take it out, put it on a nice dark background. You know, sometimes I'll take it outside and, you know, put it on the grass or something. Well, maybe not a Mac on the grass, but, you know, do something that looks nice, put it on a white sheet or something, but nice pictures make a world of difference. I think, um, I think I agree with you, but before I feel like we're kind of getting into the territory of, um, you know, Craigslist, eBay and all those things. Uh, but I think before we get there, let's talk for a minute about uh, the uh, the option of selling to a friend or a relative, you know, which saves you a lot of trouble. Right. You still need to tell your friend or relative what you're selling, though. I mean, yeah. you still need to have full disclosure of what what it is. Agreed. But I mean, I, I think you can do that sitting across from each other drinking coffee. You know, say here's the scratch, you know, as opposed to staging photos and all that. Um, yeah, I guess uh, it depends on what venue you're selling it. To. I mean, if you're selling it to someone that you know personally, yeah, in a one-on-one transaction, that's one thing. You you may be selling it to, um, you know, I sell a lot of my old Macs to like my local Mac user group. We yeah. we, we have a listserv that you can post, you know, uh, things things to purchase, things to sell. Yeah, and and that's really nice because it gives everybody a common source. Everybody knows each other, um, and you know you kind of have an idea of the person. Like I would be very comfortable buying a Mac from Katie Floyd because I think that you take really good care of them. And maybe there's somebody that shows up disheveled every week, and you see them banging their Mac around. And you're like, I'm not sure I want to buy his old Mac. Um, so that gives you kind of an idea of of what the condition is as well. Um, when you're selling it locally, you can also you know have a hand in 
in the setup and the transition of the Mac. Whereas when you sell it to somebody out there in the world, you give it to them and you hope they know what the heck they're doing. Yeah. I, it depends on my relationship with the person that I'm selling it to, but my typical rule is that if I'm selling it to someone locally that I know through my Mac users group, I'll generally offer like up to an hour of my time to to help transfer their data and get them started. With Macs, generally, my family um, absorbs whatever I'm not using anymore, but I have sold a few, uh, both to third parties, and I, I've sold a few to more distant relatives. You know, there's like the relative you'll just give it to, and there's a relative you'll charge for it. And, and But in either one of those cases, I usually try and set it up for them, sit down with them, you know, make sure they've got an Apple ID and help them, you know, get their key software loaded onto it. I, I take much more of a hand in it when I'm doing that, that kind of transition. And maybe that's something you don't want to do. I mean, that's kind of a pain. So maybe you'd rather just sell it to a, an anonymous person. Yeah. Uh, I, I One thing I've never done is like gone out on Twitter and said, hey, uh, my old Mac, I'm going to sell. Um, Because I don't feel like, what if I sold it to a Mac Power Users listener and then like six months later, it just fried for some reason. I would feel terrible, you know, because it's like a a member of my family in essence, you know, but it's somebody that I don't really have the ability to to fix that problem for. So I've always just kind of sold it to anonymous persons if it's going to be a third party. Yeah, but I'll tell you at the same time, I've I've bought a few things from from people who have that, you know, we I don't personally know, like I've never met and sat down with, but, you know, that we know through the Apple community and I've bought a few used things from them and and that's been a great transaction, you know? Yeah. But I think one of the things that's particularly important and, you know, maybe a little bit of a taboo subject that's a difficult thing to talk about, but I think it is especially important when you're selling to a friend, to a relative, or even just a casual acquaintance, but, you know, someone that you know or are going to see again or could potentially see again, I think you need to be very upfront in advance with what the terms of the sale are, both to them and with yourself. You know, if there's a problem, what am I going to do about it? What are the expectations? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's good. And and just talk about it up front. And like say, hey, there's three months of Apple Care on this. Please go take care of it, do whatever you need, but after that you're on your own and that's that. Or there's no Apple Care on this and I've never had any problem, but I can't guarantee, you know, it's gonna you know, it's a maybe it's a like in, in my case, sometimes I keep them four or five years before we sell them. And I say it's a five year old computer, I don't know when it's gonna fail. And uh, you know, if you're uncomfortable with that, I suggest you go buy a new one. Yeah, I've I've been kind of caught in the middle of some of those disputes because they they happen occasionally in in the Mac user group where you know somebody sells a Mac to an one member sells a Mac to another member and you know a month later the hard drive died a month later something else happened and you know you just kind of end up as a as an intermediary saying well I bought this Mac from so and so and they ripped me off because it died and you know it's kind of an awkward place to be and say well you know hard drives die these things these things happen. Um, and you know, sometimes you're, you're a mediator in the middle trying to, trying to broker a solution. Are you like, are you like the sheriff in your Mac, Mac user group? I I am the sheriff. I am the janitor. I am, I am everything in between. I totally see you as the sheriff. I mean, I bet you even wear, could wear a badge. You can get Uh, away with that. Yeah. Actually somebody made me a badge. So I do have a badge. (laughs) See, there you go. I knew it. Well, anyway, let's say, let's say you don't want to sell to a friend or relative, or you don't have a friend or relative that seems like the right buyer for your Mac and you're going to go out to the world. Um, yeah. And, uh, and that may be a good reason to go out to the world is because you don't want to have that kind of awkward feeling of if something goes wrong. Yeah. 
Um, so there's a couple ways you can do that. You can go online and sell it to like something like eBay, or you can do something more local like Craigslist. Let's go ahead and talk about Craigslist right now. And, and let me just preface this to say that I'm not a fan of Craigslist for selling this type of stuff. Um, in fact, I'm really not much of a fan of selling anything on Craigslist at this point. Um, so I'm kind of, um, biased against it, but it is a good way to sell stuff, I guess, if you want to get cash and, and get rid of it quickly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you have to look at the sliding scale of, of what are your, what are your wants and what are your needs? I think if you want the absolute top dollar for your item and you don't know somebody who wants to buy it from you and is willing to pay that, if you don't personally know somebody, the the, the best way to get the most bang for your buck by selling a device is to go either the eBay or Craigslist route. That's, that's how you're going to get the most bang for your buck. But you're also going to get the most hassle as well. Yeah. And so I, you, I, you have to figure out what is your time worth and, and are, what are you willing to put up with if something goes wrong? I'm just so sick of, I, I tried to sell some Macs on Craigslist and I, I had a couple, like I had one where I, you know, you always want to meet them in some neutral third party place. I always pick like a, a cafe or a Starbucks or something. And then it show up and then the person just doesn't show, which, you know, is just a huge waste of my time. Or you you get on the phone and you say, okay, this is the description of the Mac. Here's the pictures. Everything works. The price is $900, right? Yes, it's $900. Okay, so we agree it's $900. Yes. And I say, okay, so please understand, if you don't show up with $900, I'm not going to sell you the Mac. And you're already uncomfortable because you're like in this place and all this cash is changing hands. And they show up and they'll say, well, you know, I only had eight fifty because the bank couldn't, I couldn't get another $50 out. I mean, they, I don't know how many times that had happened to me. And it just, it's so infuriating because it's like, okay, so you either take less money or you say no, and then you just wasted another like hour of your life dealing with this. I, you know, I'm just done. I'm just done with this so much. And, and you know, like iOS devices is where I experience it more than Macs. I don't sell that many Macs. And, um, well, I guess we'll talk later about what I do about that. But the, um, um, I, I just think that just be under, if you haven't done it before, be aware that those are the kinds of problems you're going to run into. I, I just realized I'm ranting, so I'll stop. Yeah, I was going to say, tell me how you really feel about Craigslist. Yeah. <laughs> just. I, I tell you, I typically don't use Craigslist. I, I have not sold electronics on Craigslist. Um, I, I did have a pretty good experience selling my car this weekend on Craigslist, though. Yeah, I, um, I see. But, you know, wh- where else are you going to put something like that? You know, yeah. putting an ad, pulling an ad out in the paper is ridiculously expensive now. People don't really, really do that anymore. And, you know, the, the dealer trade in value on my car was was nothing. Yeah. So, so, so what do you do? You always make it meet them in a public place. Don't have them at your house. Right. Absolutely. I would not have someone over at your, your home. The um, other thing you happen when you put up a Craigslist ad is you get, uh, you, somebody's going to email you and say, especially if you're selling something valuable like a Mac, they're going to say, Oh, I want to get one, but my nephew is currently doing work in Siberia as a, um, you know, uh, uh, for charity, but I need to send it to him. So I just want you to send it directly to him and I'm going to send you a money order and I'll pay full price and no problem. You know, those things are always scams. Just don't do it. Yeah. One of the ways that I get around some of that is I will only do business on Craigslist locally. I will only deal in cash and I don't do, I don't do any transactions on Craigslist via email. I just, there's an option there where you can just say, do not list my email. Do not send my email. Yeah, And I put at the bottom of it, um, I only, you know, I, I put at the bottom of my listing, I will only accept calls, no text. Um, and then I give them my Google voice number, you know, serious inquiries only, calls only, no text. And I give them my Google voice number 
And I also put a disclaimer at the bottom that says, do not call just to ask if it's available. If you can still read this ad, it's available. I'll take it down when it sells. Yeah. Um, That's and, smart. And that has helped a lot. You know, still, even though when I listed my, my car, um, you know, my dad being a good guy wasn't going to wasn't going to let his, his daughter list her you know car. And so he, he helped me take care of that. And he facilitated the, the transaction for me, um, you know, but we, we put his cell phone number on there and um, we did it together. And he, he kept getting all kinds of scammy texts and, and weird things, even just in the three hours that it was listed. And he's like, what's going on with this? I'm like, it's a scam. Just delete it. Just delete it. Just delete it. Yeah. You know, just block yeah. the number. So the bottom line, whether you give your email you don't actually give your email to Craigslist, but unless you respond to somebody, but the, um, whether you use email or phone, you know, just you, what you're looking for is someone that will occupy the same space as you and hand you cash and no other deals should you accept on Craigslist. Yeah. And, and do it in a public place. Don't do it behind a store. Don't do it. Don't invite them to your house. And I mean, uh, granted, there are, I don't know how many millions of transactions every day off Craigslist and all the places it's located. And, and very few of them turn into people getting mugged or something. But I, I, I do feel kind of uncomfortable about it. But what really just, you know, what really burns me up about the whole thing is, is this the huge time waste and the way they always try and chisel you at the end, even after they agree to your price. And that just makes me nuts. So yeah. there you go. Well, we've, we've beat that dead horse for a while. Yeah, let's, I think so. I think let's, so. Let's, move, let's move on to eBay. Um, yeah. I've, I've sold one Mac through eBay um, and it was a scam. And so that was it. So um, what thank, happened? I, I never heard this story. Oh, you never heard the story. It was a couple of years yeah. ago. It was actually probably right after we started Mac power users. Cause um, I remember I was, I was still living in the other city then. And, um, uh, it, I, it, it felt weird. It didn't feel right from the beginning. So I held off shipping and someone paid me via PayPal. And then of course something wacky happened with the funds and PayPal put a freeze on it. It all worked out in the end. I, I hadn't actually shipped the Mac yet and, you know, PayPal caught it within 48 hours. So it was good because it felt scammy. Something didn't quite seem right. And so I held off shipping for, for a while until the funds cleared and then, um, so it was okay, but it was, it was just bizarre. I, I would say that if, if you're going to list a Mac on eBay, this is probably only a good option for people who are regular, uh, Mac or iOS device for people who are regular eBay sellers. Um, someone who's familiar with this process. Cause, cause there can be some caveats and some gotchas to eBay and, and same with Craigslist, you know, provide a good description with photos. Don't use stock photos, show, show your actual device. And and do your research. Look at the prior sales to know what's the best starting price and what's the expected sale day. You know, I think with yeah. iOS devices, maybe having shorter auction windows is better, especially when they're hot and new. Um, and with Macs, may, maybe a little longer is better because, you know, having giving people more time to bid on it is better. Yeah. Um, now, you've, you've also used Amazon Marketplace, which I've never done. Yeah, uh, just a, a couple of quick quick eBay tips before we move on to Amazon. Um, one of the things that you can easily get burned with on eBay is is know the shipping costs. So I would suggest actually, after you take all of your photos, packing everything up and going to like the UPS store or whatever, and know your actual exact shipping costs because I found the eBay estimator to be very low. And then just be aware of your eBay fees because you're going to get pinged by eBay at every point of the transaction. You're going to get pinged after listing it. You're going to get pinged after selling it. You're going to get pinged with a PayPal fee. But if you do eBay, my suggestion is that you require payment via PayPal. 
you, and you follow the terms of their protection policy, you only ship it to a confirmed address, you know what the rules are for their protection policy and, and follow them. Yeah, that, that's all good advice. that'll work. But, you know, just the fact that you nearly got screwed, that's not an unusual story. No. And um, that that concerns me about selling something of, of such high value. But, you know, I guess in that, if I had to choose between Craigslist and eBay, at least with Craigslist, you get cash and somebody takes the computer. Yeah. And, and, and um, folks, just full disclosure, I just popped a cough drop in here. So I apologize if you hear that. Okay. Um, but, I didn't hear it, but yeah. good so, to know you're medicating. I am medicating. It, yeah. it beats the alternative. Most people that spend a significant amount of time around me eventually medicate. So it's okay, Katie. It's yep. all right. Um, um, uh, so Amazon Marketplace is a um, is kind of an alternative to eBay. You know, Amazon is the people that sell stuff. So they kind of decided, well, we're going to help people sell things like eBay as well. Um, they do. I mean, looking in to them as we led up to the show, it seems like it, in some ways it's better th- than eBay, even though I've never used it. Yeah. So you can register as a seller on Amazon. You you have to be registered with them. So they need to have your credit card information and things like that. And typically only, Amazon is only going to allow certain things to be sold. So okay. I found that this works better with iOS devices than it does with Macs because what you're selling has to exactly match what's in Amazon's inventory. And with a Mac, if you've got like a BTO option, you you may not find that. Or if it's an older Mac, it, it may no longer be in their inventory. Yeah. The um, the one that you'd put into the uh, the outline is Amazon is very pro-buyer in terms of protection. What, what's right. the basis of that? Well, and, you know, so Amazon is ultimately very customer service friendly. And keep in mind that when you're a seller on Amazon, you're not necessarily their customer. Their their customer is the person who is, is buying from you. So if there's if there's ever a dispute, you know, if whoever is purchasing from you has some kind of dispute as to the condition or something like that, those typically get resolved in favor of the buyer. So something to be aware of. I've also had cases um, once where I sold something on Amazon where it was it was kind of a, a high dollar transaction, and I don't often sell on Amazon, so it was a it, it was kind of a, a I, I think it was something that was like they noticed an odd pattern. And they held the funds. They wouldn't let me request a distribution of the funds for like a month. Wow. They held your money for a month? Well, I think it was just like until my next regular distribution cycle was, and it just happened to be that I was the beginning of it. Um, So I I couldn't request like an immediate distribution. So I think they were holding it for some period of time to make sure that there wasn't a, you know, there wasn't any kind of contest. So, so really all we have, except for selling to a friend or a family member, um, I feel like, you know, the whole Craigslist, eBay, Amazon thing is fraught with peril as a seller. And, and I get it that you're going to get probably the most money if you go one of those routes, but that's why I have kind of resolved to not do most of that anymore. I just don't bother. Uh, the trade-in services were available is where I go. And, and honestly, for me, this is more about iOS than it is about Macs. Cause it's not, you know, I buy a, a new Mac so rarely, and then the old one gets recycled. And like my daughter has one now that's, I think it's about an eight year old Mac that's working fine. I mean, we run them into the ground in the Sparks house. Um, but in terms of, of reselling and full disclosure, as I said before, Gazelle is a sponsor and I'm sure there's some others, but I don't, I'm not aware of any other services like it, but you know, going online and say, I have this device and they say, we're going to give you this much money for it. 
And it may not be as much as you get off Craigslist, or it may be by the time you're done with all the time you invest in it. Um, the uh, and it's just it's kind of nice because you don't you you have no problems with getting paid. You have no problems with some weirdo calling you up in six months and saying that you know the thing you sold them isn't working anymore. And what are you going to do about it? And I, I don't know. I just I uh, maybe it's a convenience thing for me, but but I really like those types of services at this point. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I I tend to do the same thing. My my first preference is, is if I personally know somebody, I'll go that route. Number one, because it's convenient, and I'm, yeah. I feel like I'm kind of doing a service to somebody. And then even if I know somebody, kind of like in the extended circle, I'll go that route because you can you can typically get more money for your device. But yeah. but I tend to agree with you. I, I've kind of sworn off Craigslist and eBay for for selling my devices. I I haven't really done the Amazon Marketplace thing much, so I don't know much about that. Um, uh, but I agree. If I, if I can't sell it personally and directly to somebody that I know, then I'm going to go the gazelle route. The um, the other route that you can go, and I wasn't really aware of this until I started having problems with my Mac this summer, is the oftentimes your local Apple authorized repair shop will offer to buy them for you. Um, yeah. And so I my local authorized Apple repair shop will do so. Their prices aren't great. But, um, you know, it's kind of guaranteed money. It's kind of in the gazelle realm of, of pricing as yeah. well. And and they will buy Macs as opposed to just iOS devices if they'll do some kind of program. Yeah. Well, gazelle will buy Macs too. And, and I know listening to this, you're, you're going to be rolling your eyes saying, well, they're, you know, they're sponsors, they're paid sponsors of the show. Why are these guys talking about it? But the fact is even, you know, that has been fluid over the years, whether they were a sponsor or not a sponsor. Before they were a sponsor, I started using gazelle and and after their sponsor, I probably will as well, because I just think the convenience of it is, is so worth it. So long as the price is in the ballpark, you know, and uh, but but boy, I just I am so down on Craigslist after some really bad experiences. Yeah, we, we got you, David. You're, you're down on Craigslist. I, I'm sorry. You're um, right. I, I, I'll stop. I'll the stop. Um, the the other option in I put a link in the show notes with all of the information is Apple has a recycle program. And in many instances, you can get an Apple Store gift card for the value of your old device. And they do this with iPhones and iPads most commonly, but they will also do it to some degree with Macs and PCs. Have you ever done that? I, I, I heard that the value was quite low. I have heard that as well. Um, but there's you can go to their website and get an estimate. Yeah, why not? I mean, so why not just put the information in? Um. Actually, the website just directs you to their store to go get a quote. So it looks like you have to go to their store. Never mind. Um, so that's, that is, uh, if you're selling a device and then if you're looking at buying a device, we've got a, we've got a whole nother section we can talk about for you. But, um, before we do, why don't we take a quick break and, and talk about our second sponsor for this episode. And again, that is our exclusive sponsor. And that's the folks over at smile. So Katie spent some time talking about text expander on the Mac, but I want to talk about text expander on the iPhone and iPad, uh, Text Expander on the iPhone and iPad is, is really a special application because it, it breaks all the rules uh, for your benefit. Uh, generally, on the iOS operating system, it's very hard for one application to support others. I mean, you know, they have sandboxing and Apple's very careful about protecting, you know, uh, security of the devices. So it's, it's difficult to have data work from one to another. But all those Text Expander snippets that we talked about on the Mac can all work for you in any application on iOS. There's really two ways it does that. The first is the application can have specific um, calls to Text Expander, like OmniFocus does that. So I've got OmniFocus Text Expander snippets. When I type them on my iPad or my iPhone, they automatically show up. 
But they also have the ability to get in applications that don't support that through uh, use of the specific text expander keyboard. So even Apple applications like Mail or Pages can use your text expander snippets. So the good news is, you know, for a very little amount of money, you're going to get the, the benefit of all those text expander snippets you've developed in the Mac right over to your iPhone and iPad, and they sync over so there's no problem. In addition, they've got other things you can do. For instance, on the Mac, you have the ability to fill in blanks. Uh, you can do that on Text Expander for iOS. You just go into the application, and if you've got a, a snippet that's got fill-in fields and you know selection boxes and all that stuff, you can get the benefit of that right on your iOS device using Text Expander. So all that's right available to you. You can streamline your email, play with other applications, use fill in the blanks, all using Text Expander on iOS. So whether you're using it on a Mac, iPhone, or iPad, you're going to get the benefit of all that work right there for you. I use it every day. I love it. It's just it's just the only way to go. I mean, so often we hear from listeners that say they've been listening to the, uh, these ads for many years, and they finally go ahead and give it a try, and they love it. Don't be that person. Just go do it right now. Don't wait any longer. Get it for the Mac. Get it for the iPhone. Set it up. Watch the videos I made because they show you how to do it all, and you will save time immediately. Thanks so much, Smile, for supporting the show, and thank you so much for making Text Expander so awesome for all of us. So we talked earlier in the show about if you're selling a used device. So let's let's flip that around and say that you're on the other end, and you're going to be the one buying either a used Mac or an iOS device. And I, I think you have to be careful when when you do this. There there are a couple of general rules, and and we touched on some of these earlier. Um, I, I would say as a general rule, be ca- cautious of buying a Mac that includes software or hasn't been freshly wiped. Um, if it is legit, I, I, that software generally isn't supported or is not properly transferred to you. And that means that you're going to have problems in the future when you try to get support or upgrades or if you end up reinstalling the software. And in some cases, that may be a sign that the software was pirated or worse, maybe that computer came from a source that is not quite what you think it to be. Yeah, so it, be very wary of someone who just wants to sell a Mac to you that, that looks like it hasn't been wiped or cleaned up or anything like that. It, it could be just a very naive user who doesn't really know what they're doing, but it, it could be something else. I mean, you could be buying stolen merchandise or um, you could, like Katie said, you could be buying pirated software. And a lot of times that pirated software comes with its own demons. I mean, you know, those those pirate sites often will insert extra code into that software. So you may be buying a, a machine that is already, um, you know, compromised. And, you know, you, you just want to start from scratch. If somebody's that cavalier about software, it, it that that's a big warning sign. Right. I mean, I, you, you saw this more before and I, I don't see it as much anymore, but I still do sometimes see ads for computers that include Adobe Photoshop or, uh, you know, things like that. And, and no, typically your computer does not include Adobe Photoshop. Just, just either that person doesn't know that doesn't understand, or they're selling software that they don't necessarily own a license to or, or software that may not be properly transferred to you. My yeah, other yeah. rule of thumb is, Typically, after you get a new device, regardless of whether the person you're, who's selling it to you, and unless you know them, unless you're like buying a device from Katie Floyd or David Sparks, and you know that they've done things properly, like we've discussed on Mac Power Users, I would suggest that you do your own nuke and pave of the device. We talked about that process at the top of the show, but just in case the seller didn't do one properly, you want to make sure that, that you haven't got any tagalons along with that device. Yeah, especially if it's from a stranger. I mean, you, even if it looks like they did it right, once again, you don't know what 
type of software that machine has been subject to and what could be on there. I mean, for all you know, they could be, it could be a bad thing. So go ahead and, and just nuke and pave it yourself. Right. And that's a lot easier now with the Mac App Store, you know, assuming that, you know, you, you can get the operating system for, for free. And that may be something that you have to do first. You may have to download, you may have to, you know, log into the account and download the, the operating system to to um, uh, to authorize it with your account. But, you know, it, that's not hard to do anymore. So let's say you're sitting across the table from somebody and they want to sell you your Mac and um, or they want to sell you their Mac. And, you know, what are some things you can do right there? Because you've only got 10 or 15 minutes to look at it. What are some good steps to take to make sure that, you know, you don't get a, a lemon? Um, well, a couple of things you can do. Um, make sure that you can test drive the machine, so to speak. You know, just like selling your car, make sure you can test drive the new Mac. Make sure that the person who's selling it to you can unlock the device. Um, if it has a CD or DVD drive, um, if you're buying a Mac that has one, maybe think twice about that. But um, if it has a CD or DVD drive, you know, bring a disc to confirm that it can read and write to that to that disc. Um, maybe bring a USB drive to confirm that all the ports work. Um, check the keyboard. How does the keyboard feel? How does it look? Um, I would say physically inspect the device. Look for any signs of drops or damage. Do you Get- do you hear any odd noises for it? Yeah, to me, a big one is the battery. I mean, yeah. when you're buying a machine, what, what's the condition of the battery? Now, there are applications you can do for this. and But you're, if you're sitting across the table, you're probably not going to be able to get into those applications so much. But if you go up to the Apple menu and go about this Mac, there is a lot of data there you can look at. Um, we talked a few weeks ago about the bulging battery when I was worried about my wife's um, trackpad. Um, you know, feel the trackpad, look for the things that the telltale signs that the battery is, is overdue or beyond its, you know, usage. The, the other thing you want to check with the battery, not just bulging, but when David's talking about the system report for the battery and about this Mac, how many cycles does it have in it? How much of its charges is left in it? Um, particularly on both Macs and iOS devices, are there any signs of water damage? I've put a link in the show notes that shows you uh, from an Apple support article where all the water damage sensors are on an Apple device that you can see or get access to. You know, bring a, bring a little flashlight so you can take a peek at some of those. And that may give you some ideas to whether the device has been exposed to any water. Yeah, it's so tough, you know, when you're telling people, what do you look at for for a new uh, used Mac? Because you just have no idea what that's been through. You don't know if it's been taken care of lovingly or if it was dropped in a fish tank a week ago. You just you just don't know. Yeah. You know, uh, another thing, and I, I am particularly sensitive to this. Does it pass the smell test, um, both literally and figuratively? Um, you know, do, does the device have a bunch of cruft in the keyboard? Is that kind of a sign that that bad things have, have happened to it? Um, if the device is still registered in someone's iCloud account, um, make sure that they can deregister it in front of you. That If they can't, that may be a sign that it's not their computer. Um, I've also put a link in the show notes where you can check both to confirm that activation lock on that machine, both on iOS and Mac, has been disabled. And you can check the support coverage if you put in the device's serial number. Um, yeah. And I think the most important thing is ask questions. And if thing, you know, tell me a little bit about this Mac. What did you use it for? When did you buy it? Has it gone in for any service? Have you had any problems with it? Just strike up a conversation with this person. You're a Mac user. They're a Mac user. If if anything sounds weird, it probably is. Yeah. You know, I find most people are actually pretty honest and they, you know, they want to get a good price for their Mac. And, and usually there's not a problem. But boy, when you're dropping this much money, you want to 
protect yourself as much as possible. The um, if they do have Apple Care, that makes to me that makes it a lot easier purchase. It does, but, um, but even then, if it, if there's water damage, that's not going to be covered. One thing to note, especially if you're purchasing a Mac with Apple Care, you want to make sure that you get an Apple Care transfer letter. And if you go into the fine print of the Apple Care terms and conditions, uh, you can get the information on how to transfer Apple Care. But basically, what you need is you need a letter from the person. It essentially, in most cases, I think a bill of sale will do. But go into the Apple Care terms and conditions and search for transfer, and you'll see. Um, the steps that need to happen to transfer an Apple Care warranty. And typically it involves sending a letter to Apple that includes the buyer, the seller, the address of the parties, um, the serial number of the Mac, and perhaps some kind of proof of original purchase date. But make sure that you get that and, and know what you need going in. And sometimes Apple changes those policies of if it can be transferred and what you need. Um, so make sure you get that information. I think it's a good idea in general to have some kind of bill of sale to say, you know, if there's ever any question going forward, you know, you bought, this is what you bought. This is who you bought it from. And we're, we're breaking our rule, but write the word as is on, on the receipt. You know, Well, that's if you're selling it, not necessarily yeah. if you're buying it. Yeah. Well, I, I am switching teams here, but yeah. But I think as a buyer, you understand that as well. So, so where are some good sources to go if you want to buy a, a, a Mac or an iOS device used? Well, you know, it's it's the ones that we talked about before. You know, you could obviously buy it from somebody you know. I think that's that's probably one of the best sources. Um, yeah, e- eBay. That's my favorite place. To yeah. go. someone I know. Um, eBay and Craigslist are are also options, although not my favorite options. Um, if I'm buying a used device and I haven't had to do this often, I, I like the third party resellers, um, Gazelle and PowerMax. Gazelle for iOS devices and PowerMax. Uh, M-A-X, Power Max, uh, for Max. And I'll put links to both of those in the show notes. Um, the the big thing is that those are typically going to come with some kind of warranty. You know that you're buying from reputable places. They've checked out the devices. They've done their own passes on them. And if you've got a problem, you've at least got a recourse or somebody else to go back to. Yeah. And, and your local Mac shop. You know, we talked about selling your Mac to your local Apple authorized um, um, repair center. You can also buy from them a lot of times. So yeah. look one up. That's true. The um, um, and then Katie, you put a note in here at the bottom of this this section that I think is golden. Um, so what's the other place you go to look for when you want a, a used Mac? I, you know, if you're looking at buying a used Mac, I would say before you do this, go look at the Apple refurb section. Go look at the Apple Store in the refurb section, and see if you can't do better. Because I am a big fan of buying Apple ref- certified refurbished products. They come direct from Apple. They still have the full one-year Apple warranty. They're still eligible for Apple Care. You can buy Apple Care on them to extend your warranty out even further. They typically come at a nice discount, not as discounted as a used Mac, but you're not getting a used Mac. You're getting a refurb Mac. You're getting a Mac that you know Apple has gone through and someone from a technician from Apple has actually gone through, opened up, and looked at. I and have you have an Apple, a year of Apple Care because you're buying it from Apple? Um, it's, it's a little more expensive than going on eBay or Craigslist and buying used, but I think you get a lot more peace of mind. But you know, it's not even that much more recently for a friend, we were looking at buying a used Mac and we, um, we were comparing prices on eBay to refurb machines and it was about the same because, you know, people are pretty high on their pricing on eBay. So you may find it's really not much different at all in pricing. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a great tip. Um, so if you and it's not always that easy to find 
uh, Apple kind of hides the refurb store, in my opinion. So if you go to apple.com, what is it? No. So it used to be apple.com slash store. I'm not sure where to find it now. Let me no, go now you actually quick. have to somehow get into the store and then scroll down to the bottom. Is it apple.com slash store? Does that work? Let me see here. Uh, I I don't know. It's a pain. Yeah. If you go to yeah. apple.com slash store and then scroll all the way to the bottom, you can go to the refurbished section. Yeah. And you can see it's there, but boy, and it's, it's like, it just refurbished. It doesn't even say what they're refurbished, but, but they have good prices there. Usually they have the last generation and maybe the current generation. Sometimes they have uh, clear out items. Um, the, the discount ranges in my experience between 10 and 30%. Um, uh, but it, it's significant and it, it may be enough of a discount to make you um, want to avoid all the nonsense that we've been warning you about. Um, so there you have it. Um, you know, you could also buy a new one, but you know, that's kind of not the point of the show. So <laughs> we'll, we'll skip over that. Um, overall, Katie, I guess what's your, your gut feeling about all this? I think I've been to, um, I've been pretty hard on Craigslist throughout the show. I, I know sometimes that's the best way to, to sell or get a new Mac. And I get that. Um, um, I, I think you have to look at what are your priorities. Um, if you're in a position where you absolutely positively have to get top dollar for your machine, then I think Craigslist or eBay is going to be the one that gives you the top dollar unless you happen to know someone who's going to buy it for you uh, from you. And I think if you're going to sell it to someone and want to get top dollar, you're going to need to be prepared to throw in some of your time and effort and helping them get it set up. Um, and, so, and if you're going to do that, I, I strongly recommend you you follow the advice we gave during the show about how to set that, you know, how to how to construct the ad and how to set the meat up and all these different things uh, to, you know, to to make sure you make it worth your while. Right. So I think it just depends. What what do you need when you're selling your, your Mac or your iOS device? Do you absolutely positively need to get the most money out of it or do you want more of a hassle free experience? As I've gotten a little bit older and, and I've, I've thankfully in a, a place in my life where, you know, getting the absolute top dollar perhaps isn't the most important thing to me anymore, I, I've moved away from the eBay and Craigslist model and, and clearly you have as well. But I know that there are people who say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to leave that money on the table. It's, it's worth the hassle to me. And, you know, more power to you. Just be safe when you do it. Exactly. Um, buying used devices, I think you just need to be careful. Um, I, I personally probably wouldn't buy a used device off of eBay on Craigslist, in, you know, unless I had something very specific that I was looking for that I that I didn't think I could find. You know, a lot of people buy and sell Mac Minis off of off of eBay um, to use for specific purposes. You know, buying something off somebody I know is is a little different, but. Um, I'm probably if if I were to buy, you know, like for example, if I were to break my my iPhone or my iPad, I I'd probably think hard about buying a buying a used one. Um, I probably wouldn't buy a used Mac, but I would think about buying a, a used, especially a certified uh, used iPhone or iPad, if I was out of contract or something. Yeah, you know, I did that last year, and it it worked out just fine. Yeah, so I I think we've covered it. I I think you just have to be careful and know what your priorities are, and and um and then go to it. So that'll about do it for us. If if you've got any more tips for things that we haven't covered, uh, if you think David's just absolutely wrong about uh, eBay and Craigslist, you can you can let us know. You can send us email to feedback at macpowerusers dot com. We'll try to follow those up at the next MPU live. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm Katie Floyd. David is Mac Sparky, and the show is Mac Power Users. And once again, th- uh, sorry, everybody, for the way my voice just fell apart halfway through the show. We were given a 
talking about Katie's uh, illness at the beginning, but apparently mine's the one that decided to show up today. So um, I'll feel better and uh, sound better uh, next time we see you. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again, Smile, for your kind support of the show. Go check out all of their products at smilesoftware.com slash MPU. And we will see you all next time.